All right, everybody, it's that time. It's disagree with me or don't. And I'm your host, Mikey Wilson, just the same as every other time. We got another great episode for you this week with our special guest, Eliza Hayes Meyer. She was great enough to come in and sit down with us. Actress, producer, writer, uh, really a true example of somebody out in L.A. that is really forging her own way, doing her thing, getting noticed by just creating her content and, and pushing forward every single day. Somebody who uh, really knows what grinding it out in the entertainment business is all about. About uh, having done musical theater in New York for like seven or eight years. <laughs> I mean, that'll wear you down. Off Broadway stuff, pretty impressive stuff there. We'll get into talking about some of that. We'll get into talking to her latest project. She just had a film come out on the Hallmark Channel. Y'all know we're big fans of the Hallmark Channel here, right? I mean, every one of your wives or every one of your sisters or aunts or everybody has been watching the hell out of that over the holiday season. That thing is popular as all get out. And you know yours truly, your boy did a Hallmark movie back in the day. Y'all know that. So we are big fans of the Hallmark Channel here. She's got some great new exciting new projects coming up we're going to talk a bit about that we're also going to talk about her growing up in buffalo and being a huge buffalo bills fan that's right but if you're finding yourself sitting there right now thinking i'm, I'm not sure if i'm familiar with this eliza Hayesmeyer. sounds familiar but i'm not a a new york city uh you know musical theater fan so i wouldn't know her from that and i'm you know i'll be honest i don't watch a lot of hallmark channel it might not be that where do i know that name and if you're familiar with the tiktok game you will recognize her from there recently eliza has blown up huge on tiktok hundreds of thousands of followers millions and millions of views on her videos she does the 90s mom bit i'm sure you've seen a bunch of those conversations with yourself i mean she's got a lot of great stuff a lot of good content on tiktok and congratulations to her she has been blowing up on there uh, real, real sweetheart. One of the nicest people you ever meet and just a lot of fun to talk to. We did some gigs on the road together before and she's absolutely just one of those people that's just always in a good mood, upbeat, fun to be around. Real good person. I'm real happy for her. But you know before we get to any of that, we got some things we got to get to in the world of sports. Yes. I'm Mikey Wilson, and this is DWMOD. You. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys, Cade Cunningham. Let's roll. Down. Hut. 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 It's 2021, and Sweet Lou Whitaker is still not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. An atrocity. Aw, Lions fans drinking that Kool-Aid Super Bowl. Hey, disagree with me or don't. That's how it works. The Dan Campbell era has officially started in Detroit, and I'm all in simply for the change in culture that it'll bring. Let the next guy worry about winning. I love it. Good riddance to the greedy NCAA who decided they wouldn't share one penny of their billions in profits with players. Instead, they'll let name, image, and likeness pay the players. Bye, NCAA. You're no longer needed. Ready? Major League Baseball's sticky tack on the mound trials were nothing more than a witch hunt to hide the fact that it's home run or bust at the plate no one can hit anymore. Hey, disagree with me or don't. That's how it works. And this week, I want to start right off with the knock it off segment, which seems to always revolve around some kind of sports talk and sports takes. Man, people just, it seems people cannot intelligently discuss opinions on sports. 
there will be differences of opinions. People will have different thought processes. People will have difference of opinions. But when people come up with ridiculousness, anyway, I'm going to spare you and I'm just going to get right into this thing. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys out there are still messing around on Facebook. Some of us still do. There is a pretty good account on Facebook and it's called Black Adam Schefter. And this guy's got a, uh, he's got a brilliant gimmick. I don't know if I call it a gimmick or whatever. I mean, he's good at what he does. Um, he posts all kind of sports takes and he posts them in a way where they're opinionated and his post will stir debate. It's very wisely put in a way to spur debate, get people to make comments. And hey, that's what the Internet is now. You know, as as my man, Corey Fuller Love, always puts out there, which I think is hilarious. He always says on Al Gore's Internets. And I'm like, yeah. That's funny, but Al Gore's Internets is just a place to argue. So this guy puts out his sports takes, and people jump on there immediately with the comments and let the argument start. You know, it's a brilliant it's a brilliant format. He's got tons and tons of followers, gets thousands and millions of comments. It's brilliant. Anyway, this time around, my man, Black Adam Schefter, he posted a meme of Michael Jordan. And this meme said, Michael Jordan really did this in one season. The best scorer of all time. And it's got a picture of all the highest point totals Michael had in this one particular season. He scored 61, 61, 58, 56, 53, 53, 50, 50, 49, 49, 48, 47, 47, 46, 45, 45, 44, 44, 43 points on six occasions, 41 points on another six occasions, 40 points on another six occasions. Now, that's all in one season, and he labeled it greatest scorer of all time. Now, if you listen to this show, you know where I stand on this subject. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time, and you know that I am a diehard Pistons fan. I am a diehard Bad Boys fan. I think he is not a very good human being. I think that he is a liar, all the shit that he did to Isaiah Thomas, keeping him off of the Dream Team. I think he is a liar throughout the last dance, all his takes and things he had to say about the bad boys. I think that he is a crybaby for all this stuff with the bad boys. I'm not a huge fan of Michael Jordan's by any means at all. But unlike a lot of other people out there on Al Gore's internets, I can be objective and say, yes, I don't like the guy. I'm not a fan. But he's the greatest basketball player that ever lived. Now, that being said, people started chiming in with who they feel is the greatest scorer of all time. And that's fine. We can have difference of opinion. That's what sports is for, man. So we can discuss it and have some fun. Intelligent people anyway. And, you know, immediately people jumped on there talking about Will Chamberlain. A valid argument. Will Chamberlain scored 100 in a game. Will Chamberlain scored all kind of crazy stuff that we're going to get into because we're going to dive into Will Chamberlain because here's where the conflict came in, and I'm going to have to tell a bunch of people. Knock it off. Knock it off. When people chimed in saying Will's the greatest scorer of all time, I simply chimed in by referencing the meme and saying, yeah, Jordan did this when they let guys play defense still in reference to modern day basketball now i wasn't saying they didn't play defense back in wilt's day i'm saying they don't let them play defense now so for when jordan did this in the 80s and 90s the days of fist fights and you didn't come to the lane unless they drew blood which we're going to go back to talking about in a minute uh you know that's what i was referencing okay but then i finished the statement by saying and yes he is a better scorer than wilt 
Wilt is great, but I've always felt like Wilt Chamberlain is a lot like Jim Brown. Are they both one of the greatest players in their respective sports? Yes. But did they both benefit by playing against smaller white dudes? Yes. And that's all I had to say about it. And boy, that's all it took. They came out of the woodworks. Some people with some good arguments, good discussion back and forth, which is great because I love it. Uh, A lot of idiots. A lot of idiots. And I'm going to have to get into it right now. Now, first of all, I'm not going to get into the Jim Brown thing. You can argue all you want, say whatever you want. I think Jim Brown is definitely one of the greatest running backs that ever played. He's one of the greatest athletes that that ever graced the NFL, all-round athlete. Fantastic. Would I even put him in the top five to seven running backs of all time? No, I wouldn't. Because when Jim Brown played and put up those gaudy numbers, defensive linemen were barely 200 pounds. Defensive linemen now are 300 pounds and faster than Jim Brown. Yes, there are defensive linemen who are almost 300 pounds that are faster than Jim Brown. Not knocking Jim Brown. I met the man. He's a great dude. I love Jim Brown. One of the greatest running backs ever. Is he one of the like top five to seven? No. Now on to the Will Chamberlain. Now, before we get into comparing Will Chamberlain's scoring ability to Michael Jordan's scoring ability, which is what we're talking about here, let's be clear about what eras of basketball we're talking about here, okay? So for Jordan, we're talking early 80s. We're talking 80s and 90s, okay? We're talking 80s and 90s. And for Wilt, we're talking late 50s through the 60s, okay? Into like 70, right? So we're talking late 50s and 1960s basketball. So let's describe what a basketball game looked like in the late 50s and in the 1960s. And I'm not knocking these guys. I'm not one of these guys that knocks them like they couldn't play. It ain't their fault. That's how the game was, okay? It wasn't uh, like it is nowadays where it's a full-time job. Guys are bigger, faster, stronger. We understand all that. We can put that all aside, correct? I'm not knocking these guys from this era. But put on a game in this era in the NBA and tell me what you see, okay? Outside of the guys that played in the paint, You see predominantly a bunch of white guys hunched over dribbling the ball, running a three-man weave until they get somebody open on a set shot, or they dump it into a monster like Wilt Chamberlain or Bill Russell or Willis Reed or any of these guys, okay? But that's what the game looked like back then. Get a set shot or dump it into a big guy down low for the layup. Okay, them big guys weren't stepping out, drawing people out of the paint, knocking down jump shots. Not the way it was. Put the game on and watch it. Okay, and that's what I'm referencing. You had you had a bunch of predominantly white guards dribbling the ball around and three man weaving until they were dumping it into a big guy for a bucket or hitting a set shot. We all know what the '80s and '90s look like. Come to the lane if you want to take your life into your own hands. Fist fights, punching, the bad boys. We know what 80s and 90s basketball was, okay? Now, again, for the record, I do consider Will Chamberlain one of the greatest basketball players of all time. I do. I'm just saying you cannot say that his scoring was not well out of context to the competition at that time, man. You can't tell me a dude, he averaged 50 points a game in the 1961-62 season. 50 points and 25 boards a game, okay? That's dominating the competition beyond what Tiger Woods ever even did in golf, okay? You can't tell me that that's not because he was so much bigger and more athletic, all right? Now, I said before he's playing tiny guys, and that brought people out of the woodworks like you wouldn't believe. Uh, One knucklehead chimed in immediately with, that's just not true. It's just repeated often, so people believe it. Every team had a seven-footer back then. Knock it off. Knock it off. No, they didn't. Knock it off. Okay? The average size 
of a center back then. Everybody's trying to tell me, Will Chamberlain played against, uh, you're, you're wrong. He didn't play against tiny white guys. He only played against tall, athletic black guys. You don't know what you're talking about. First of all, nobody said short. Y'all came in here with your sports opinions, talking craziness, saying that somebody said short, short, short players. Nobody said short and just because he was taller. I said because he was bigger. Okay, and you all with your statements of the average center back then was six foot eleven. No, he was not six foot eleven. The average center during his era was six foot nine, two hundred and twenty-five pounds. Okay, now at six foot nine, two hundred and twenty-five pounds, you could have a tough guy's mentality, and you can be as hard-nosed as you want, but you are thin and frail compared to a man that is seven foot one, two hundred and eighty pounds. He was the shack of his day when no one else was. Again, not knocking Wilt, just how it was. I got continual comments about how Wilt Chamberlain played against more Hall of Fame centers than any other center in the history of basketball. First of all, I don't even know how you could make that statement as if it were hands down just a golden lock fact. I mean, how many great centers were there in the 80s and 90s that were Hall of Famers? You want me to string off a list of them right now? And those guys' stats were a lot better than the Hall of Famers you're saying from the 60s. Knock it off. Knock it off. But for the sake of argument, let's look at a couple of the Hall of Famers that y'all listed for me. First off, Bill Russell. Okay, legit. But to my point, six foot ten, two hundred and ten pounds. Six foot ten, two ten. Okay. And Bill Russell, he's one of the greatest. We all know that. All the championships and everything. Not knocking Bill Russell. Lifetime stats: fifteen points a game, twenty-two rebounds. Twenty-two rebounds is huge. But okay, Bill Russell, I'm gonna give you. But we can all see how Wilt could even dominate that guy. I mean, look at some of the, their outcomes against each other. I mean, 7-1-280 against 6-10-2-10. I mean, that's a mismatch, guys, a big one. And he was hands down the best competition that y'all named. Someone brought up Nate Thurman. Again, a 225-pounder whose lifetime stats, 15 points a game, 15 rebounds a game. So back in the era of 60s basketball, 15-15 and 15 made you a Hall of Famer. Okay. I'm not sneezing at that, but, I mean, you, you're following my point now, right? The next guy on your list that you guys gave me, uh, Zelmo Beatty. Again, six foot nine, 225, stats, 17 points a game, 10 rebounds. Hall of Famer, mad competition against a 7'1", 280 guy dropping 50 and 25, okay? Keep with me. The next guy on your list, Willis Reed, again, 6'9". This guy, 235, a little bigger, a little bigger here. But lifetime stats, 18 a game, 12 rebounds. I'm not knocking 12, 18 and 12. 18 and 12 is great, man. That That's fine. But it's not what y'all made it out to be with these Hall of Famers. He was battling every night more so than any other center. Come on, man. Another guy you gave me, Walt Bellamy. Now I'll give you Walt Bellamy. He's 6'11 now. Still, again, 220 pounds at 6'11. But at least Walt is 6'11. And, you know, his lifetime, he's 20 points, 13 boards. So that's a little better competition. That's cool. And then another guy tried to claim Lou Alcindor, tried to slip in Kareem Abdul Jabbar on me. And I said, nah. Knock it off. Knock it off. Like, like Wilt had to compete against uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. No, he didn't. 
Jabbar came into the league in 69 with Milwaukee, and Wilt only played to like 71, 72. So there was like three years where they barely crossed each other's paths. And this is at the end of Wilt's career where he's averaging like 13 a game. So don't try to bring Kareem in here just so you can add another Hall of Famer he played against. That's what we're doing now. Anytime you played one minute against a Hall of Famer at the end of your career, that counts. Knock it off. Knock it off. So y'all can follow my point now that, you know, to say Wilt was just that dominant and he still would be dominant nowadays and would still score 40 a game nowadays. No, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. You know, these tall, skinny guys he used to play against are now KD, are out beyond the three-point line dropping 40 on you. It's a different game now. He would not score 30, 40 points a game now because his position is irrelevant in modern-day basketball, man. They don't play it like that anymore. And some people made that very fair argument of you can't compare eras. You can't hold it against him that he was well ahead of his time athletically and basketball skill-wise. And, and that's fair. I will agree with you, as I did. He's one of the greatest. People made fair arguments. It's not his fault. He was bigger than everybody. Okay, I, we got it. You know, that's fair. I'll give you that. But if you want to try to say what he would do in today's game, I always say the best way to settle that, I don't like comparing eras. I don't like comparing eras. But if you want to compare eras, I say the only fair way to do it is to swap the players within the era. So go ahead and let Will play in the 80s and 90s, you know, against centers like Patrick Ewing, the actual Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the 80s, Akeem Olajuwon. Alonzo Mourning, David Robinson, Shaquille O'Neal, Moses Malone, Robert Parrish. I mean, come on, man. We can keep naming guys. Now, I'm not saying Will couldn't play with them guys. He could, but don't tell me he's dropping 30, 40, 50 on them guys because he's not. Now, let's flip the script and let's let Mike play back in the late 50s and 1960s basketball when they're slow dribbling the ball up the court and, and three-man weaving. Let's let Michael Jordan take his ball handling skills, explosiveness, uh, slam, dunk, ability let's let him take that to late 50s 60s basketball and you you want to tell me he couldn't score like wilt did knock it off knock it off yeah he could yes he could but again i don't like to do that because it's a little bit silly but i am comparing competition okay and then for laps for laughs you had the boobs come out of the woodwork all the time you know that dude that just thinks he knows everything about sports because he likes to buy jerseys you know that guy one idiot chimed in and said Oh, yeah, Mike Wilson, I'm sure Michael Jordan didn't benefit from half the league being out till 4 a.m. on a coke bender in the night before guarding him when he put up those numbers. I'm like, for real, man, that's your argument? That's your argument is that a lot of guys in the league in the 80s and 90s were doing coke, so that's, you know, that made it easy for Jordan. You're dismissed, bro. Knock it off. Knock it off. One dude tried to make the argument that uh, shooting guard was a position that was just on the come up when Jordan was getting his thing going. Like shooting guard was a new thing and people didn't know how to defend it. Like that was a thing that was changing the league at the time, being a shooting guard. First of all, Mike wasn't only a big scorer because the way he shot the ball as a shooting guard. Mike was a big scorer because Mike got to the hoop, dunked on people, drove, drew fouls. He wasn't just a shooting guard. Second of all, to shoot your argument all to hell, that's all the game was in the 60s. We already described that. It was all shooting guards. That's all it was. Set shots and dumping into a layup. I mean, did, knock it off. Knock it off. Then one dude really tried to come at me. He tried to come at me. Uh, Jordan literally played against only small white guys and Wilt only played against tall black guys. You have it backwards. You need to do better. Time out, man. 
my man, I told my man, you you are claiming that the NBA in the 80s and the 90s was smaller and whiter as a league than it was in the late 50s and 60s. I mean, the 80s and 90s are literally referred to as the greatest era of hoops with a ton of the greatest players ever. Yeah, Jordan only played against small white guys. You know, like um, the bad boys littered with small little white guys. You know, um, the Celtics, those Celtics teams of the 80s and 90s, yeah, littered with small, tiny little white guys that, that Jordan, you know, could just dominate. You know, back then, the Lakers, the Knicks, the teams he won championships against, the Sonics, oh, all these teams just littered with tiny little white guys, right? You don't even know what you're talking about, dude. Knock it off. Knock it off. You're making the argument based on the fact that he played against John Stockton and Mark Price. I mean, two guys that were phenomenal players, especially Stockton defensively. So I asked him, are those the tiny white guys you're referencing? Those two great, great basketball players? And my man came back at me with, oh yeah, and you're talking about Danny Ainge probably with a laughing face. Then my man brought up Danny Ainge and told me, you lost this argument, pal. I'm like, he brought up Danny Ainge and laughed and told me that he won the argument because he had named Danny Ainge, to which I had to let him know, no, I didn't mention Danny Ainge, but since you did, he was the Wooden Award winner for the best player in the country in college basketball. Uh, He was the second player in NBA history with 903 pointers. Uh, He played pro baseball as well as pro basketball. That's a common feat for an unathletic white dude to play two professional sports. Uh, He won two rings as a regular, one of the greatest teams in league history, those Celtics teams, which I hated as a Bad Boys fan. But again, objectively, one of the greatest teams in history. And he's routinely found in debates as being a person who was worthy of the Hall of Fame. That's your example of a dude you laugh at and, and, and say as a joke for Jordan to play against? Come on, dude. You need to do better. You're a clown. You simply don't know what you're talking about. And he wasn't done yet. His response to me after naming all those great teams that were clearly not riddled with slow, trashy, small, little white guys, his response to me, well, when Jordan played against those teams, he lost. What? 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 Dude, you're a clown, man. And then he went on to, to say uh, he only won in the expansion era, playing against small white dudes as the league expanded, which is always an ignorant, ignorant argument to me because the expansion really happened when the ABA went down and they joined. And, and all those players from the ABA who were playing Way bigger, more athletic, high-flying basketball, going to the hoop, dunking, shattering backboards. Like, the evolution of the game was happening in the ABA at the time you're fantasizing about in the 60s and 70s. Guys like Dr. J and all that. That's when the true expansion happened, and that made the league immensely better. You're a clown who doesn't know what you're talking about. And to claim that Jordan lost against all those good teams again just makes me laugh. I have to circle back on it. I mean, dude won six straight titles when he didn't take a timeout to go play professional baseball. I mean, the only team at the time that had his number was the bad boys, and he finally got over that hump. Oh, and at the same time, uh, while he was regularly losing to all those teams, he set the record for wins in a season. My man literally had a season where he won 72 games and only lost 10. So you're telling me that those 10 games that he lost were the only 10 games he played against good teams that year. 
their schedule was set up with 72 patsies or something. I mean, you're just a clown, man. You're a clown. I mean, then this dude went to flip-flopping on Ainge and trying to claim, no, I'm a big Danny Ainge fan. I'm a Celtics guy. I'm a... You're a boob, dude. Then in classic fashion, when you have been handed your ass in an argument that you don't know what you're talking about, you try to change and divert the subject, and he tried to end on saying, you don't even know what you're talking about. Wilt would be one of the biggest players in the league today. Even by today's standards, he'd be one of the biggest. Uh, my man, that's what I've been saying. He would be as big as the dudes nowadays, and he was playing back then. You're now making my point for me. You are a boob, dude. You are a clown. And then tried finishing by saying, oh, you have been schooled here, man, and you keep coming back for more? Question mark. You're not very smart. I'm killing you. I'm like, I'm laughing my ass off the whole time at how dumb this dude is, and so is everybody else. My man, put on your Celtics jersey and, and reminisce of those teams in the 80s that the bad boys put to rest and just relax, okay? Because you watched your team win a few championships back in the day doesn't mean you know shit about hoops because you clearly do not. So knock it off. And I left it at that because there's an old saying, and it's very true, and it's never continue to argue with a fool because he'll eventually drag you down to his level and beat you with experience. And I'm a big believer in that, so I usually leave those conversations as soon as I've had my fun. But before we leave, I did save the best for last. Now, this was a single comment, not none of these other guys, especially the one long-winded clown that just, I mean, I hope he had his pencil out and he's listening to this and writing down the things that he should have learned. But anyway, there was one particular comment, isolated, just one dude, one time, that was the best one, I thought. And it said, Mike Wilson, no, you're wrong. Jordan would have been lucky to average 20 points a game in the 60s. He would easily have led the league in turnovers, though, because Jordan would have been called for double dribbles and traveling every time he touched the ball in the 60s. And, and that's my favorite. That's my favorite. You know, some old uh, middle-aged white dude jumps on there with, Michael Jordan would have been called for traveling every time. <laughs> oh, prize to the clown. Our internet clowns of the week, Eric Phillips and Adam Alpert. Uh, congrats, guys. Whew, I'm dying. Uh, and that brings us to quick hits this week, guys. Let's get into some quick hits. Congratulations to John Daly and his son for winning the PNC championship. They took out Tiger Woods and his son. Uh, great to see Tiger Woods out there again, though, man. Great to see the guy out there swinging the club and golfing again. Hopefully he'll get back up the form. But my man John Daly still doing it. Congrats to him and his son, PNC champs. Hey, let's talk about Jake Paul real quick, right? I mean, my man had the big knockout the other night. I mean, you know, a lot of people, you know, I, I got to stop. I can't even sell this anymore. I just got to tell you, uh, Jake Paul's a giant turd, and I could care less, and I'm not watching any of those fights, and I could care less because it's all smoke and mirrors. The guy's whole life's been smoke and mirrors. I mean, he made a career out, out of nothing on the Internet pretending to be something that he's not, and now he's learned how to do it really well. Who cares? Dana White is right. The guy is a chump. All right. I'm tired of Jake Paul. I'll tell you right now, uh, I will fight Jake Paul right now. 44 years old. I'll roll off this couch, uh, grab myself a sandwich, head down to the arena and put on some gloves and I'll fight Jake Paul right now. Turd. A big shout out to uh, Brian Kelly. 
giving his speech down there in Louisiana this week and uh, trying to pull off the phony accent. And, um, I mean, it couldn't have come across any worse. The guy is just a big phony. I mean, he is. He's a, good, he's a great football coach, man. I could be objective. The guy's a good football coach. He wins everywhere he's been. But I'm telling you, I, I never really liked the guy from firsthand experience. He had me out on a visit when I was coming out of high school, and he couldn't have been more dismissive and, and rude to me when I got to sit in the office with him. I just thought he was rude from minute one, and everywhere he's been, he's been nothing but all about himself and very phony, uh, leave in the middle of the night, walk out the door on teams, walked out of Central in the middle of the night, walked out of Cincinnati in the middle of the night, not even so much as a meeting to the guys he brought into those programs to say, hey, thanks, guys, I love you, but I got this opportunity. He's just one of those guys. He's just kind of a phony, and it's sad, but a lot of the guys that are really great at that thing kind of are, but whatever, man. Way to look like a fool trying to <laughs> rock the accent down there at LSU. <laughs> was pretty funny. <laughs> Big shout out to Ferris State for winning the Division II national title in extraordinary fashion. I mean, they blew everybody out throughout that whole tournament, man. Big ups to the Ferris State Bulldogs on the national championship. Big congratulations due to a very good buddy of mine, one of my best friends to this day, a fantastic football coach who makes changes in the neighborhood, not just on the football field, but is a staple at Battle Creek Central and has a lot of impact on that community, doing great things for a lot of young men. His son was on that Ferris State team this weekend, won that national championship. So big shout-out to my man, Lauren Granger. I love you, buddy. Hope to see you soon and have some beers. Congrats to you and your son and the rest of the kids on the team that you coached that are playing there now. Congrats to them. Congrats to you and Coach Anisi. Great season. Ferris State Bulldogs, Division II National Champs. Now, the best of all for this week, big shout-out to my CMU Central Michigan Chippewas Fire Up Chips Taking out Washington State in the Sun Bowl. Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Nobody gave us a chance. Going into the game against one of the Pac-12's better teams this year. One of their best teams, I I dare say. Finished at the top uh, of the heap there in the Pac-12 with some of the big wins they had this year. Nobody gave us a chance. Chippewas march into the Sun Bowl. Come out with the victory. And I'm telling you what. Our two big dogs on the line. Bernhardt Raymond. First team All-American. Going to be a first-round draft pick. Was voted the max offensive MVP of the season along with Lou Nichols. I mean, when's the last time an offensive lineman was the offensive MVP of a conference? Well, he, you know, he opted out of the game. And we all understand that. We all understand why. And so did Luke Gadecki, also big lineman, also honorable mention All-American, uh, first-team All-Mac player. He's going to get drafted this year. Our two big dogs who blocked for Lou Nichols, the nation's leading rusher this year, opted out of the game. And that led a lot of people to think, man, Central don't have a chance. Their big dogs ain't blocking, and, and their rusher ain't going to be able to get going. Washington State's got this. But, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, the most underrated offensive line coach in the nation that just keeps turning them out up in Mount Pleasant is Mike Cummings. The offensive line coach at Central Michigan is one of the best in the country. You go ahead and look at the guys that continually get turned out into the NFL out of CMU, and it was next man in. Next man in, and Lou Nichols and the boys ran the ball, and I'm telling you what, Khalil Pimpleton was doing his thing, no doubt. My man just opted for the NFL. I want to give you a big shout-out, man. Uh, It was fun as hell watching Pimpleton hit returns this year. He's got a bright future ahead of him in the NFL. And my man Lou Nichols getting it done, like I said. Big win for the Chippewas. 
And on that note, it's time for us to help Lou Nichols get himself a name, image, and likeness deal with the greatest pop in the world, Fago. The Fago Beverage Company makes the greatest pop in the world. You're from Detroit. You know that. And I'm going to tell you, Lou Nichols knows that because Lou Nichols is a Detroit kid as well. It's Detroit versus everybody. And I'm talking about the best chips in the world as well. Better made potato chips. Best chips in the world. We need to get Fago and Better Made to get with this kid and put him on a bottle of pop, put him on a bag of chips, because we all know, we all know anywhere you walk around the metro area, around Detroit or in Detroit, if you yell fire up chips, 15 people will yell it back to you. There are so many Chippewas in that area. Do you know how much pop and chips you will sell? Not to mention you hear I keep saying chips. I mean, better made, you got the slogan right there. I mean, Lou Nichols, a chip off the old block, fire up chips, get yourself some on the red hot chips, man, put fire up chips on the red hot bag and put Lou Nichols face on it and watch how much money you make. You know what I mean? And for Fago, put him on the red pop or something like that. Do the same thing, man. And get, get, do it together. Let's get everybody go buy a bag of chips and buy a bottle of pop with Lou Nichols face on it. Cause the kid deserves it, man. Let's hook him up. Let's take care of our own Detroit versus everybody, man. Go get some Fago. Go get some Better Made. And while we're at it, for the adults, you know I'm going to tell you, the official beer of the DWMOD podcast, that's Old English 800. Get yourself some Old English 800. Got the NFL playoffs coming up. Got the national championship game coming up. Get yourself an Old English 800. Splash of orange juice. Get you a brass monkey. Delicious and enjoy. Now, before we get to Eliza, the, the TikTok sensation 90s mom. Some of this stuff is hilarious. She's also a big Buffalo Bills fan. We're going to get into that. She's from Buffalo, which is a lot of fun, man. But before we get into that, I really quickly just want to touch on Antonio Brown. Now, we all saw what happened. I mean, you know, he's a Chippewa. This is a kid from Central Michigan University. And, uh, you know, we all saw what happened this weekend. Threw his shit all over the sideline. He was out of there, threw his stuff in the stands, bolted. And everybody was like, man, that's the typical old Antonio doing what he does. A, B, A, B, and that's what's happening right there. And then the next day you see a lot of things online where people are saying, see, the media was quick to judge. And what they didn't tell you was that, you know, Bruce Arians told A.B. to go back in the game, but A.B. was hurt. And A.B. said, I can't go in because I'm hurt. And then Arians said, you better get in the game. And A.B. said, I'm not playing hurt. And then he said, then you're cut. So A.B. and, and you know powers that be from his camp are saying he was cut on the sideline because he wouldn't play injured, so he left the field. And look, man, I'm not playing homer on this one, okay? I'm not playing homer on this one because the A.B. that Chippewa fans are claiming was the dude that was doing this thing in Pittsburgh right before Vontez Burfick laid that hit on him, man. Because the guy that got up from that hit, that ain't the guy that we all recognize. That's a guy that needs help, man. You know, he needs help. But to claim that you were cut on the sideline, and, and, and that's just nonsense, man. And anybody that's buying into that, I mean, you can't give them the benefit of the doubt on this one. One, the guy's track record. The guy's track record speaks for itself. But number two, um, this is not a matter of opinion. We all, we all get into this realm nowadays where it's a matter of opinion as to what story you believe. This is not a matter of opinion, man. The rules in the NFL. You can't just cut a guy on the sideline, you know. Now, in the heat of the moment, somebody might say something like that. I'm not saying Bruce Arians did, but, you know, you can't just cut a guy on the sideline. That's not how it works, man. There, There's protection from the Players Association. You can't do things like that. Do you know what kind of problems the Tampa Bay Bucks would have if they cut him on the sideline for being injured? You can't do those things, okay? 
So even if something was said in the heat of the moment of, well, then you're not playing, go to the locker room or something, that don't mean you're off the team. But when you throw all your shit off and then throw it all into the stands and then wave and do jumping jacks in the end zone and head off, and now you've cut your own throat. You know, now, now you have cut your own throat. I mean, if you're having a disagreement, then you sit there, but you're still getting paid. There's protection for players. So for him to say he got cut because he was hurt, you can't buy into that, man, because it's just not real. That can't happen. And do you know how I know that? You know how I'm not speculating on that? Because as I'm recording this right now, he's still on the roster. He's not even cut yet. So stop buying into all that dribble, man. Like, this was A-B, A-B-ing. That's exactly what it was. And then the next day, he's courtside at the Nets game, and and then he dropped some kind of hip-hop, tried to do some kind of rap song. I don't know if you listened to it or not, but that ain't a rap song, man. I mean, that's an audition to be somebody's hype man. That That's like a mic check for the hype man, the whole 40 seconds of it. It's it's sad, man. And I think Tom Brady hit the, hit the nail right on the head, man. Like, let's not try to be judgmental in this moment and, and pile on the dude. He's cut his own throat and cost himself millions and millions of dollars because he's got problems, man. There's something wrong with the dude. And, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, man? Pile on some more because it's fun for you? I'm like, nah, man, I, I, I guess I'm kind of with Tom Brady on that, man. All you can do right now is just, you know, love the dude from a distance. And I'm telling you, I got a lot of experience with that. Sometimes you can't save people. You can only love them from a distance, man. And just be curious and not judgmental. And that dude needs some help right now, man. He just does. But I'm pretty certain this dude has played his last game in the NFL. He's done. I mean, if any other team even attempts to take a, a, a shot at signing him, uh, it, it's going to have to be somebody just looking for ticket sales or something, which is sad. If you do that, that's sad, man. You know, get this guy some help. Don't keep putting him in pads and knocking him around, and, you know, and playing the game. Get this dude some help. He's done. His NFL career is over. And that's sad because he could have been one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. But it is what it is, man. Godspeed, A.B., man. Get you some help, bro. But on that note, let's get to it. About to have a lot of fun with Eliza, 90s mom. All right, welcome to the show, Eliza. Oh my gosh, hello. What's up, stranger? <laughs> What's going on? How you been? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. As we chatted about earlier, I'm currently trapped in Buffalo, New York. You're stuck in Buffalo? I'm stuck in Buffalo. I don't think I'm going to get out tomorrow either. What's going on with that? Because it's there's, there's so much snow over here, and I'm supposed to have a layover in D.C., and I don't think that's going to fucking happen. It's still snowing pretty bad up there? It is. And it's going to start again tonight. So I don't know. Everything's just, I don't know. It's just all a mess between weather and COVID. I feel like there are like four people flying planes right now. <laughs> just like tagging in and out. Probably is. <laughs> uh, half the pilots are stuck on I-95 right now. I right. Um, well, trapped is a strong word. I probably shouldn't say that. My family probably wouldn't appreciate that. But um, right. I've been here. I've been here for like a month because I was healing from an injury that I got. Um I fractured my tibial plateau. I was on a, I was on a hike, like a trail run. Okay. Yeah. I was on a trail run. Um, I forgot what hike I was on. I'll never go again at this point, but I was running downhill, which I was told not to do. And uh, one of my foot caught a branch and I like landed straight on my right leg. And like, imagine just like your tibia and whatever the fuck is above your tibia smashing together. Um, yeah. It's like you locked your knee trying to catch yourself. I locked my knee and my entire body weight went onto one leg on a locked, on a locked knee. So anyway, I couldn't, I couldn't really do anything in LA. So I decided to come home and heal for a month. So 
Okay, so this happened in LA. Oh yeah, this happened in LA, and then I I got I hobbled my way through LAX to <laughs> to get home. You get X-rays or anything or what? Yeah, no, actually, I will share that I got to the ER and the doctor. I drove myself to the ER uh, because I was like out in Malibu and I didn't have a choice. These two guys had to like carry me down like half a mountain to my car. Then I get to, I get to the ER and, uh, the doctor does like a physical test and he, he was like, yeah, it doesn't really seem like you did anything too bad. Like you're not really making any noise. You're not like crying or anything. Like, I feel like you're probably fine, but let's do an x-ray to be safe. And sure enough, I like fractured my tibia. And he was like, I gotta tell you, he's like, I'm going to tell my students about you. Cause I've never, <clears throat> excuse me, had someone come in with like a fractured bone and like not wince when I touched it. So I'm pretty proud of myself because apparently I'm a very threshold. Yeah. Nice job. So no cast or nothing like that, huh? Just got you laid up. Yeah. No, I just, I couldn't walk on it, but I'm walking on it now. All right. Feeling good. Feeling good. All right. So back home in Buffalo. Now you're originally from Buffalo, right? I am. Yeah. Okay. I I was raised here, um, which obviously makes me a Buffalo Bills fan which is now a favorable thing, but yeah. Like, yeah, you remember when it was not fun to be a Bills fan. I, I can, but I can remember like when I was real little, when they were like, I mean, everybody made fun of them for losing four Super Bowls in a row, but I mean, try to go to four Super Bowls in a row. Right. Yeah. No, it was a really good period followed by a really, really bad period. I've actually always thought that we were, remember how the Boston Red Sox have the curse that they finally broke? Yeah. I feel like if you line up the timeline, how were we not cursed by the OJ Simpson situation? (laughs) All right. Tell me, explain this. Well, listen, it's right. If you look at it, it all lines up. It was like, things were going pretty well. And then all that shit went down and all of a sudden, we were doing a whole lot of nothing for a really long time. That's, so I'm That's like right at the end of that. If the Sox can, can, can blame it on a curse. Well, I think we, we, we didn't take the bait there. We could absolutely have blamed that on something. Yeah, if OJ would have just come clean. You guys yeah. probably would have went to a fifth Super Bowl and won. <laughs> if the glove fit. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, just a conspiracy theorist over here. All right. So did you grow up in Buffalo, like doing entertainment stuff, acting stuff like that? Or Yeah, I did. My parents are actually both actors. They met in New York city. My mom was um, trying to do the musical theater thing and uh, they got pregnant with my sister and ended up moving back to Buffalo where my mom is from. But there's a really amazing theater scene in Buffalo, like a professional theater scene. Um, they have a special agreement with the theater union actors equity. So I had the gift of like being raised backstage because both of my parents did theater growing up. So I just had this, yeah, I had this incredible opportunity to be raised among artists. And, um, I went to school for musical theater, uh, at university at Buffalo, And then I moved to New York when I was, you know, right out of school. So like 21. Um, And I did the musical theater thing for like, like seven years or so. Really? You were banging around down there doing a bunch of shows? I was. Yeah. Well, I didn't stick around long enough to get like my Broadway show, which is something that I thought I would always regret. But like, it wasn't fun anymore at a certain point. Musical theater is really, really hard. Like there is no one in this industry that works harder than an actor in musical theater. It's like eight shows a week, you're living out of a suitcase. If you're lucky to be working, like you have to sing, you have to dance, you have to tap, you have to, you know, stand on your head. You have to like, there are you, it requires so such a wide level of skill to work in the industry. And even when you have that amount of talent, it's still really hard to get a job. And it's just like, 
you know, they just, you just work so hard. So I did, I did it for seven years. I did some cruise ships. I did a national tour. I did something off Broadway. I worked a lot regionally, but it reached a point where I was like, this just isn't fun anymore. It's just really effing hard. Uh, yeah. It sounds like it. Like, you know, I don't know extensively about, um, the musical theater community, but I mean, everybody's, you know, at, at a minimal aware of what goes on, you know, like Broadway, off Broadway, stuff like that. And it seems like it's a crazy competitive and then lengthy schedule if you get in, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, everyone is so talented. And I think that that's the really overwhelming part is that like these, these auditions that you would go to, there would be lines, you know, down the block and up the stairs and every which way. And every single person in that line could have done the job. And it's just, it's insane that the, the talent pool has grown, but you know, there's not a lot of money in theater and it's the, the tours have gotten shorter and the paychecks have gotten smaller and it's really hard to maintain a life in the theater. So I just hats off to all of my friends that do it. Cause it's incredible. Yeah, That seems like it's tough. Did you notice when you got to LA just to spin off on that, um, did you notice it being like kind of the opposite when you got to LA? Like it was long lines of people that no, not all of you can have this job. <laughs> I do think that the thing that brings people to LA is different than what brings people to New York city. I do. I do think that a lot of the people that sort of on a surface level appear in LA are often, you know, the most attractive person in their town. And like, that's reason enough for them to like move somewhere sunny and think that maybe they could be on TV. And it's not, they're not wrong to think that because there are lots of very pretty people on TV, you know, there, there just are. So, uh, but I think once you dig deeper, I would, I would challenge people that say that people in LA don't work as hard or that people in LA aren't as dedicated or at, or that this industry isn't super difficult in, in its own way, because I have found that like the people that stick it out in LA, just like the people in New York are like, creators who make their own shit and they make their own work and they they make things happen for themselves and um I actually found that the creative energy in LA was a lot higher than it was in New York um sure. I'm not sure why that is I think because in New York with theater you're sort of encouraged to like you step in line you step into the role it's already sort of carved out for you there's not right. a ton of room to like make your own Broadway show you know that's a that's a quite a feat what versus LA, you can, you can have a podcast, you can write a blog, you can vlog, you can TikTok. You know, I mean, there's a million ways that you can take the reins in your own creativity. You know what I mean? So yeah, I yeah. think that it feeds it in a different way out here. Yeah. Cool. You, you're, you're right about that. You're, you're far more open to create your own content out here. Whereas like you're saying, the contrast in New York is like, you're getting in line to be in someone else's production. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think a lot of people end up going to LA in the second half of their career. I know a lot of musical theater people, a lot of theater people that end up migrating this way because I do think it's a lot more livable on the West coast. I think that the quality of life is just, it is better in a lot of ways. Like your environment gives something back to you in a way that I think New York, it takes a lot from you. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of money. It, um, and it's hard to get something back from it. It's very cold. <laughs> so I get why people in the second half of their career after like working super hard in theater are like, I want to like go for a walk in the sunshine and like maybe do a commercial. <laughs> like that sounds right. easy, you know? Right. How, how fast did that seven years go to you? It seemed like a blink of an eye. Not while I was doing it. Cause it was like in my twenties. So everything feels so big and important in your twenties. Like every, every right. show, every job, every boyfriend, you know, everything feels like this epic chapter. That's so important. If anything, I feel like that took so long and I've almost been in LA for the same amount of time. And I feel like that's been the blink of an eye. Really? Okay. Yeah. 
All right. All right. Now, I don't know if people know this. and uh, Well, some people on my end may know this. I don't know if any of your friends know this, but it doesn't really matter who knows it or doesn't know it. I was just going to say, I usually say like how we know each other. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love how we know each other. other. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, people are always like, how do you know that person? And I'm like, well, you know, so anyway, we we met doing auto stuff. We you sure know? did. Yeah, right. How fun was that? <laughs> That was without a doubt my least favorite job I have ever had in my life. And it was made, it was made tolerable only by people like you. And thank God that you had so many people like you that were like great and grounded and no one was here to like save the world. We were all just like making a buck to like continue doing the other thing that we wanted to do. Um, How long did you do that for? Oh man. I'd say now I did that when I first moved out to LA, um, I got into that trying to make ends meet when I first got it. I did it about five years, I think. I mean, I have friends that do it still. And to them, it's the perfect job. It's it's seasonal. It has a beginning and a mm-hmm. middle and an end. They know what to expect. They know what they're making. They know who they're working with. For me, it was like the reason I stopped doing musical theater was because I hated living out of a suitcase. It was not fun for me. Right. I just wanted to plant roots and be in one place. And then I found myself in this job where I was like, oh my God, I'm doing the same thing I was doing before, except now I'm not even singing and dancing and acting. I'm talking about the Ford Explorer. <laughs> I was like, why did I do this? No, no, you were talking about the Ford Bronco. You oh, excuse that. me, Ford Bronco. <laughs> God, if I never hear Ford Bronco uh, again in my life. Because that was the year where it was supposed to come out. For but, four years, it was supposed to come out. And right, all we did was talk like, about that. <laughs> oh my God. And the old, all the old men who you'd say something in your little speech about whatever you were talking uh, about. like, They'd have a, they'd have something to correct you on. And I'd be like, I don't care, bro. You want to do it? Take the microphone. I know. I know. That was like one of the things about that gig was everybody would come there to show you how much you didn't know about it. You know what I mean? I was like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like Like you're so bored. You are so bored. I know it did. It did. You were right about the, the people though. Like if you got the right crew in the right city, uh, it was, it was very tolerable. I mean, it was really fun, but yeah, because it was kind of like summer camp. But like, if you were, you know, I remember, I don't think you were with us. There was one particular one. It was in Sandy, uh, Sandy, Utah. And it was like, I did tiny, Utah every year. Yeah. Tiny little convention center. And like, it was just a sleepy place. Like, I don't know. I don't know if they changed the hours or something the year we were there, but it was just like, there was no one coming. And I was like, this is, this is what'll kill me sitting in Sandy, yeah. Utah in the world's ugliest blouse. And just waiting to talk to old men about cars. Like I couldn't, I was. Yeah. And and when the weather would hit down there too, like nobody would come or if the jazz were playing, forget it. (laughs) Forget Forget it. it. Nobody was coming. And then Sunday morning, bang. uh, Yeah. Some, some blonde haired lady and some blonde haired gentleman with like nine little penguins behind them walking through every booth. You know what I mean? (laughs) They would be packed on Sunday with the family crews, man. Yeah. Right after church. It just would. It would. It would be funny. So you got other stuff going on right now. Um, Obviously, I should have led with this. I mean, uh, the TikTok stuff has blown up for you. It has very unexpectedly. I started it, well, I guess in like March of last year. So March, well, oh God, it is last year now, 2021, because now it's 2022. I got to keep reminding myself. Um, Yeah, no, I started it uh, because I was um, bored out of my mind. And I was watching all these incredible women that I've, you know, known for a while in LA 
being really successful at it. And I was like, they're making something every day. They're making something funny every single day and it's theirs. And why am I not doing that? And so it was really because I watched them do it that I just thought I should try this. And it, um, it worked, I guess, you know, so many things don't work in this industry, but that one particular weird thing worked. I mean, nineties mom, that character that I, um, came up with that is based, you know, lightly off of my own mother and every, every mother that was (laughs) raised by in the nineties. Um, yeah, that character just seems to strike a chord with, with a lot of people, people like her. Sure. From the Midwest and back in, you know, on the East coast like that, I'm sure hundred percent, there's like so many videos on there. I'm looking through them and stuff. And I'm like, these things have millions and millions of views. Like it happened really quickly for you. Right. I mean, in the grand scheme of TikTok, yes, because I know people that have done it for years and like it, it, it eventually clicks for everyone. If you stick with it long enough, I think that I, I, the first video that hit for me wasn't even a nineties mom one. I did like a, was working in a restaurant one. I was playing both sides of the coin. I was playing a chef and a server that were like getting in a fight over the, uh, over some, a steak that got returned and something about that worked. And that one kind of popped off. And then the nineties one sort of started going after it. And, um, I think what's the most interesting thing about it is that there are teenagers who are equally as fascinated. It's not just like people, my age, it's not like, you know, 30 to 40 it's, there's also a wave of teenagers that are like, they're so, I think we forget that they're so removed from the way that we were raised that it's fascinating to them. They, they, they were asking me what blockbuster is. They were like, what's blockbuster. I did one about blockbuster and I had to like explain it. I, they didn't know. And I, I explained it in the comments and there's the response was, Oh, so like Redbox," And I was like, I mean, no, dude, it's not Redbox. There were people, <laughs> there was a whole store and there were videos in the store and there were people and they, you had a card and everything. And like, it's just, I think to them, it's fascinating to my generation. It's nostalgic and something about that combination just sort of worked. It is so weird. I think I saw somewhere like there's still one that's open or something like the last, like the last block. where is it? I don't know. I'm going to throw out, like, I'm going to guess like in Iowa or some shit. I don't know. Yeah, that probably, I mean, that would make sense, right? Yeah, I would think so. Or it's like in Brooklyn, like it's some kind of hipster. You're right. It's, you're right. It's either hipsters have kept it alive for Instagram sake or, you know, or it's, or it's out of necessity in the middle of Iowa. Yeah. There, there is a little video store out here by me where I'm at in LA, like up around the Santa Clarita area. I just got a thing in the mail, like the oldest uh, family owned video store in LA or something. I'm like, this thing's still open. Like, you you gotta know, go. I, think you, I think you need to go and take an adventure. Take well, your kids. If, if you went to rent something there, like what would I play it on? I don't think you need to rent it. I think you'd need to, I mean, it's a relic. I think you should take them as a, in the same way that like you're, our grandparents would take us, I don't know, somewhere old. Like, yeah. show them the way of the world, Mike. Yeah, Tell them how I it should was. probably go over there because it's probably <laughs> crazy as hell. Have they ever had, have they ever seen a v, uh, VHS? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. well, you know how, like, you were talking about, um, like, how every, moments were so big for you, like, in your 20s and stuff? Like, yeah. um, I shot myself in the foot before I even got out of the starting blocks. Like, I was having a kid at 21, so. You, oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, I yeah. You were such a young dad. Yeah, my youngest is graduating high school this year already, so. Right, your I'm son, done. right? Yeah. And he's, he's, he plays football, right? Right. Right. Yeah. I read your post about him recently. It was really, it was really cool to read, um, about his, his football journey and how, like how it wasn't easy for him the whole time. And I thought that was like really cool. I thought that 
Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah, really lucky to have my kid's dad. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough road for him. I was proud of him. He fought, he fought it all the way through and he's doing well. He's getting looked at by some schools. We're visiting places. So it's yeah. out pretty well for him. So wait, then when did you start comedy if you had a kid at 21? Oh man, I didn't get into it till, you know, I got on the fire department in Detroit and I did that for 17 years, like right away. And then, um, you know, the city went bankrupt and I was kind of at a crossroads. I was doing second city. I started doing second city in Detroit when I was like, like 30, you know, okay. like I started at 30 years old. Yeah. And then, so I've only been doing it a little over 10 years. Um, but anyways, I was doing second city in Detroit and then the city went bankrupt and then second city closed down. And then like all the people I knew from there jump ship to Chicago or LA to continue doing second city and, and stuff, but I couldn't go cause I had my job, my kids and stuff. So like a couple years after that, my wife and I just decided, you know what, there's the, the state took over the fire department. They were taking our pension. They were cutting our pay. They were busting it all up. And I just was like, what am I sticking around for? You know what I mean? A couple of pennies on a dollar on my pension, you know? So we right. just decided to bounce and we came out here like seven years ago. Okay. So like almost the same time as me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've only, I mean, I'm rounding on well, no, I'm six, but still, I mean, relatively close. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool though, that you guys just up and did that. I don't, there are a lot of people that are not brave enough to do that with kids. It's yeah. It was, uh, it was interesting. It was like in the middle of the night, we're like, we're gone. We're gone. And your parents are like <laughs> screaming at you. Don't go. Yeah. I think like a lot of my family didn't understand. Cause like my whole family's all like fifth and sixth generation firefighter. Like my great grandpa, my grandpa, my dad, all four of my brothers, my sister's husband, my nephews, like everybody's on the fire department in Detroit. So they're like, what are you, what are you doing? There's nothing else out there but this. And I was like, eh, you know, where's the, where's the feature about that? Have you written that show already? Uh, I'm working on it. No, I yeah. did. I wrote a pilot um, okay. that was loosely based about my life as a young 20 year old dad on the fire department. I had given up college football and stuff. And huh. um, I had some interest in it, got shopped around, had a meeting, had a live stage reading and stuff. And then it just kind of fizzled out. Nobody bit. So, well, wait for Ted Lasso to sort of settle and then they'll need something to fill <laughs> up again. It sounds like Friday Night Lights meets something else. I don't know. I, I love, love it. I would love it. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that would be great. Yeah. Now you just did a, a Hallmark movie, yeah? I did. I did my first Hallmark movie and I hope it's first of many because it was such a delightful experience. Like Take I- the reins. Taking the reins. And I realized I mistakenly used that phrase earlier, which is really embarrassing because it sounds like I was plugging my gosh darn Hallmark movie, but I really wasn't. You should. Um, at any rate, it was um, it was written by two women that were in it. Nikki Deloche is one of the, the stars. She does a bunch of Hallmark movies every year. And then her writing partner, um, Megan McNulty, they are these two fantastic women who wrote this movie together and, you know, they pitched it to Hallmark and then they got to freaking be in it together and they both have families and they're these like two fantastic women who are like just a little bit older than me and like I don't know they're like these like magical I don't know like fairy godmothers who are just doing everything that I want to do in life and they're doing it so well so I I kind of struck gold with them working with them and then um Claire uh Niederprum who is uh, an old friend of mine was directing it and so I just got to work with this incredible team of women who are doing all of the things and it was such a great experience and now, I how did you know her for you said your old friend of yours from New York she was like my first friend in LA um it was one of those oh, like okay. yeah like I met I met a, my friend I that I did summer stock theater with a million years ago was friends with her and connected me when we moved out here and she's fantastic she she directs a lot for Hallmark and has 
started a great directing career for herself. And um, yeah, it was just one of those, I don't know, you get, you know, jobs come and go and they're, they're, you're grateful for all of them. But this was one in particular that was like really magical because I made really wonderful friendships with, with really great people who are working hard <laughs> to make yeah, things right. A lot of fun um, on the set and stuff. Yeah. And Cor- Corbin Bernson, who was like, oh yeah. Yes. He would played my dad and he was, uh, he was so awesome. And Janine Turner played my mom. I don't know if you watched, um, Oh, what would a lot, uh, Janine Turner. Come on. If she hears me trying to remember what she was at, Northern exposure. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. I'm fam- I wasn't familiar with the name, but now that you say that, yeah, yeah I was going to say Alaska, but that's not, that's not what it's called. Um, yeah. Northern exposure. No, it was a great, it was a great cast and, um, it was a great time. Yeah, that was fun. That was like, I, I did a Hallmark movie a few years back. Um, like yeah. right when I first moved out here and honestly, like it was one of the most fun things that I'd ever done. What, um, what was yours about? It was called smooch and it was, uh, it had Kelly Martin in it from like ER. And yes! stuff. Yeah. And then, um, at the time, Mad Men was very popular. So the, the daughter on the show that played uh, Don's like 12-year-old daughter, I think her name's Karen, Karen Shipka or something. She was like the main character in it. And it was like a, it was a um, Valentine's Day thing. It was like Prince and the Frog type thing. And I played this detective where I was like, I was going to find out who this guy was. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, I, I was in a, I was in a really great um, like writing sort of like a writing accountability group, I guess you could call it. I'm sure everyone's been involved in one or 12 of those at some point in their time in LA, sure. but um, there's a woman in it who had produced for Hallmark before. And um, one, one of the other women that was in the group had written um, like a pitch and then a script for this really great Hallmark movie. And um, I had written uh, like a, this was before I was in the movie. I had written like a, I don't know, it was, it was the outline for it. So, it was, right. you know, going through, breaking down all the scenes, like beat by beat and sort of fixing, figuring out the story and all of that. And I remember presenting it to them and the girl, she was really nice. She's really nice about it, but she was like, why did you write this? And I was like, I just wanted to see if I could, like, it's such an, it's such an interesting world. Like, I just wanted to see like, if I could do that. And she very gently told me that I was sort of commenting on Hallmark as I was writing it. And she was like, there's actually a lot of room to write fun stories for Hallmark. If you know how to play in the sandbox, she's like, but what you can't, what you can't do is go in making fun of the story that you're writing. She's like, and that's kind of what you're doing here. Cause I was sort of like making fun of it as I was writing it. And I think that's what, I think that's what a lot of people do with Hallmark. We, we sort of like, we know the story it's, it's told a million times, Every but time. yes. But what I learned from Nikki and Megan, you know, who wrote the one that I was in is that like, they, you know, it was based off of like personal experiences for both of them. And they kind of used it to, you know, to inform the story that they were writing and they made it theirs. And, um, it was, it was cool to learn that like, you don't need to shortchange that, uh, that thing. You don't have to like, it doesn't have to be something that you sort of like poo poo, like they're, they're writing scripts and they're selling scripts. Like they're figuring out how to use like, you know, what they know and, and turn it into the type of things that people like to digest. And like, isn't that what we're all trying to do? So it was just a really good, it was a good learning. Um, it was a good lesson for me and it was a good process, like as a writer to, to realize that like, there's no medium that is better or worse than another. Like you want to write stuff and you want to sell stuff. Right. So like, yep. I'm with you hundred percent on that. Like I've never been big on um, shitting on other people's creative Mm -hmm. things that especially have, have been successful. You know what I mean? Right. But I even felt that way. Like even when I first got the Hallmark movie, I remember like sort of 
I, I wouldn't even let myself be excited about it. I was like, oh, it's just a Hallmark. It's just a TV movie. It's like as actors and as creatives and artists, we do that all the time. It's like nothing is ever like quite good enough. Like, yeah, yeah. oh, it's just to this. It's just to that. But you got to like, <laughs> you got to take the wins where you can get them, you know? Yeah, you do. Because they don't come very often. They really you know don't. I mean? They yeah. don't at all. But that being said about um, writing it while commenting on it and stuff like that. I think there's something there. I think we should do something like a Hall Mock movie. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> well, there's actually, I don't know if you've delved into this world, but there are very funny women on TikTok that have taken to doing like sketches of um, scenes from Hallmark movies where they are sort of, they're, they're just acting out and I'm not going to describe it any better than they actually do it. So hopefully you have TikTok and you can just sort of, I don't know, look at the women that I follow and you'll, you'll find a treasure trove of, um, I'm going to have to check some documentary style awesome. Hallmark things. And they're, they're, they're great. They're it does sound funny, but you have a bunch of different ones. Like you said on yours, like you do the nineties mom thing. And then you also have like the conversations with yourself. Um, I, one of the ones that I found funny that i I found it funny was when you're doing the one where uh, it's like a guy's girl. That's hilarious. Oh. To me. That one's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. to me. Well, you know what I learned from the youth is that there's a new word for that. Um, oh, what did they say? See, I have to look it up again. It's there's a word for her now. It's like yeah. a gimme, a gimme girl or a uh, shoot. I don't know. But I don't the gist of it is. is like for people listening is like um, if you go and watch it. It's like um, the girl that's always like, nah, I just don't really like to hang out with girls. Let's get along better with guys. Like, just want to watch a football game or something. Oh. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. Like, oh my God. like, I just like love beer. Oh, you drink wine. I love beer. I'm just like a guy's girl. Like, yeah. it's just like that girl. It's like that one girl that, that everybody went to high school with who just, you know, she just thought it like, you know, it made her cooler to not have any girlfriends. And like, it was like a, a badge of honor to be like, oh, I just like don't get the drama of girls. And that whole concept is so funny because that video started such a girl fight on in the, in the, comments of that All video right. there were girls being like oh I hate that girl and then there would be girls coming on and going well I am that girl and you're proving exactly why I am that girl because look you're just being bitchy for no reason and then they'd sit there going back and forth and like the whole the whole joke is that like you're the the entire construct of our of our society is built to make you think that it adds or or <laughs> subtracts from your value at all to have any opinion on another woman or to be exclusively right. friends with men. Like the fact that we're even having this conversation is evidence that the problem is so much bigger than us. And like the fact that we're fighting about it, it's it's just, it was, it proved my point really well. Um, and I'm sure they're still fighting about it in the comment section. Oh, the comment sections <laughs> yeah. on stuff, I'm telling you. Oh my God. Sometimes I think it's kind of I've kind of escaped, I think, uh, I think because of 90s mom, because she's, she's very likable. Uh, she doesn't get a lot of hate, but like, sure. man, I have a lot, I've seen, they can be mean on there. They can be real mean. Yeah. It's well, it's a, it's such a wholesome bit. Like it's hard to tear down a wholesome bit. Right. Like you can't tear down like a really eager lady in a plastic blonde wig. Like she's just doing her best. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas, At the very worst, you're like, yeah, it's probably my aunt. I'm not going to shit on her. And then you all know like, her and you're all definitely related to her. So oh, just for sure. better be. For sure. For sure. Um, now, in, are you in Buffalo proper or like in the suburbs or? Oh, I'm in the suburbs of the suburbs. Yeah. 
no. Um, okay. I never, I wasn't raised like in the city of Buffalo. I was raised like on the outskirts in what we call the South towns, but right now I'm in the North towns and we just got a whole lot of snow, got a whole mess of snow up here. Whole mess of snow. Huh? Yeah. I, I did the show up in Buffalo for a couple of years in a row. I was up there and, uh, I loved it. I what loved years it. were you here out of curiosity? Oh, uh, for like the last three or four, like right before the pandemic, maybe. Oh, okay. Oh, I was, so no, got- actually, I left Buffalo right before the pandemic hit. Like I did the show that January or something like okay. that. Okay. So you got yeah. New Buffalo. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, there's I New Buffalo. Like right downtown. Yeah. There's New Buffalo and there's Old Buffalo. I, I, when I, you know, when I left Buffalo in, I guess it was like 2005, there was like a, there was a, oh, I don't want to use, well, I don't know what other word else to say, like Renaissance, but people get mad when you say that because now it's gotten really gentrified and there are a whole host of other problems because of it. But like Buffalo has changed a ton. Like it used to be like a really, it was a sad old steel town, man. Like there was nothing here for a long time. And it was a lot yeah. of people out of work and the, the, the waterfront wasn't developed at all. And um, we weren't really using our resources super well, but like a lot of money has been poured into the city and it definitely has a lot to show for itself now. And, you know, with, with the bills and because the Toronto blue Jays were playing in yeah. our minor league stadium for like right. the summer. Um, that was really cool for Buffalo as well. Cause they got to see. some. Yeah. I was there a few years in a row. So like I slowly saw that starting to happen, but like my very first year that I was there, that's why I liked it so much because it reminded me of Detroit growing up. Like, so I was at some hotel and then I'd take off walking and I'd be walking like real industrial looking kind of town and just like everything was really cool. Walk into a little hole in the wall bar, get get a beer or something like just of the people, everything just reminded me a lot of Detroit. And I just enjoyed the hell out of it. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll come back. You know what I mean? I like Yeah. The people in Buffalo are, they're just the best. Like, I don't know. There's a camaraderie here. And I think it comes from I think it comes from being raised in like a city that's sort of been through something, you know, like it's very, it's very blue collar and people work really hard here and it is super divided politically, which is, which is really hard. And a lot of it falls like into generational divides between people, but it, it makes for a really interesting smattering of people. And I think it's attracting a lot more, like a lot younger people than it ever has. People sort of compare it to being a sister city with Austin or Portland it has a, it has a similar vibe. Um, and there are a lot of, a lot of young people here. They're actually, they're opening a film studio, um, a big film studio in Buffalo, which is really, which is really cool. Cause they're, they're filming a lot out, out here right now. They did quiet yeah. Place and quiet place too. were filmed out here. I know we are Marshall, I think was filmed out here years ago, but it, okay. slowly, but surely the tax incentives are good. So people are, are doing. Okay. Good. That's good. Cause they killed that in Detroit. They, they killed did. It. Oh yeah. The filming was going crazy in Detroit. Like I'm going to say like 2010 through like 2013, 14, like um, they were, they were filming like NBC had a, a show one eight seven. It was like a detective murder show, like a law and order type of thing was filming in Detroit. Um, yeah. And he had a bunch of show, shows that were filming in Detroit movies were filming the transformers. All those movies were filming there. Cause it's apocalyptic old looking, but like there was all these film incentives and then um, I think Clint Eastwood was in a deal. He was going to buy one of the big, huge old Ford plants there and turn it into an actual film studio. Like it was a huge old plant and he was going to turn it into like a Warner Brothers studio and just start making movies there and stuff. And then the new governor got in and was like, this isn't a good deal for us. And he axed everything and that deal fell through and everybody left and now they don't film shit. That's such a bummer because it is, it is, you, 
the look of Detroit, you know, you can't really find that everywhere. Like oh. it, it is super specific and that's such a, that's such a bummer that they killed that. I wonder if it'll ever come back around. I don't know. He burned a lot of bridges with the whole damn thing. You know, people were, were like in mid production on stuff and, and he was shutting it down and trying to get them, you know, money out. It was, shit. it was a big, big deal. Yeah. It well, fingers crossed it doesn't happen here. We like the yeah. arts and well, as I hope not. I enjoyed it, man. I walked down the street to the Key Bank Center and saw the Sabres play the Red Wings. Oh, I wish the Sabres were still good. They used to be so good. Yeah, with Dominic Hasha. They're so bad now. It's really sad. I they they should not. I was talking with a bunch of guys at the game when I was there. I was like, I I cannot believe they should have won the Stanley Cup that year. Like Brett Hull was clearly in the crease when he scored the goal to win the Stanley Cup. And they didn't even go to replay or anything. He was clearly in the crease when he scored. That should not have been the end of the game. It was crazy. Yeah, it's one of the things the city will never live down. I still see the bumper stick, the bumper stickers. Oh, I know. It was heartbreaking, man, because I was pulling for the Sabres, man. I wasn't like, I wasn't big on Dallas Stars, you know. I, I have a hockey yeah, team. Yeah, fuck Texas. No, I'm just <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I mean, it's just not. The, the Southern hockey teams are just kind of hard for me sometimes. I'm like, what? Like the Tampa Bay Lightning are like the new, the best team in hockey, so, which my buddy John Burkhart uh, from the fire department with me, he's a big time um, hockey scout. And he was would scout talent for the NHL when he wasn't at the firehouse. Mm-hmm. And he's got so good at it that he does a full time now with them and quit the fire department. And he just got a couple Stanley Cup rings. So I can't hate on the Lightning. Wow. Congratulations, John. Can you tell him to send some our way like we they have to endure the snow over here at the very least we should be good at hockey (laughs) i know right it was sad though because they were like in dead last place but like the place was packed i mean good fans you know that's buffalo they love the team up there for sure you know and then the new era store was right next to my hotel and i'm like i'm like a hat some people are sneaker shoes i'm like i'm like a hat dude so I spent like 200 bucks in the hat store. Did you get a Bill's hat? I did not get a Bill's hat, but I got a uh, alternate version for the the minor league team, the Buffalo, the baseball, the minor league team. They have oh, like, the like bison. a gold. Yeah, the bison. It had like a gold yeah. chicken wing on it. I was like, that's, I got that. Oh, one. that's good. Yeah. <laughs> and I bought my son one that had a, a chicken wing on it as well. <laughs> oh my God. If I ever saw that in public, specifically the Buffalo bisons, I would be like, what the fuck? <laughs> Right. where'd you get that because that's like no one has that yeah like, i like that one yeah so have you ever been to a game at the the stadium the bill stadium is called what now did it just change names i think it's is it high mark, mark something mark Heimer? i think it's rich it was rich stadium but i don't well, know that what was that was that was a while ago that was so. a long time ago that was a long time ago that's what it is like you know how like whatever whatever you were raised with is what's ingrained in your brain like that's oh then it was ralph that it was ralph wilson stadium and now it's something else and I don't know what it is. Um, but yes, I have been to a Bills game. I've not been to as many as, as you would think I, I would have been to, but I didn't really live in Buffalo for most of my adulthood. So I didn't really have the chance, but I think I've been to two now and they're just, they're just the best. They're so oh, fun. They're completely out of control. Yes. <laughs> really fun. Um, you have to tailgate. It's not really an option. Like you can't just like show up for the game. Like no one just shows up for the game. Right. You got to right. make a whole day of it. And you got to bring um, some tables, jump through them. Yes. Well, not, you know, not everyone does it. I've, I've never participated in the breaking of the tables. Um, well, and I'm rather, nice I'm rather petite. So I think it would take quite a few of me to break the table, but no, my brother, my little brother actually has season tickets and um, he's out there. He's out there 
Every home mafia. game, rain or shine. That's that Bills Mafia. They love it. They love it. Our uh, our head coach, my son's head coach, I coach on this team for my son, but our head coach played like six, seven years with the Bills. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. His name Would is Kerry Harris. Him? He played in the DB. He was a DB. He played at USC and then got drafted by the Bills. Nice. Yeah, he loved it. He said it's great. Up Does there. he, he still it. want, is he like, what is his team? Like when you, when you were in pro football, like, do you ever choose a team that's like, that's my team? Cause you get moved around so much. Yeah. I think, you know, when you're a professional athlete like that, it, you, I, I feel like you kind of stop rooting for a team and you kind of just more like a player's guy. Like, yeah, some, like some these are my friends. Are, <laughs> yeah, whatever teams are doing well. But I yeah. do think that they have some affinity for that first team that takes them on and gives them their chance. And like, you know, he, he, he follows the Bills, you know, yeah. he does. He loved it. And it depends on like the kind of team. I feel like the Bills are, are ones that sort of like, they like nestle their way into your heart and it's hard to get rid of them. Yeah. yeah. When you have a great fan base, it's, yeah. you know, it's tough. And they're one of the best fan bases in football. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, unlike like a Philadelphia or something like, oof. I mean, the fans of Philadelphia are a nightmare. I've heard that. And that's my second team because my dad was raised in Philly. So I. Oh, really? <laughs> I well, I just by just by default. I mean, I, I couldn't choose anyone over them because my my cousins care so deeply. So I have to like offer a piece of my heart to that um to that battle. But I've I've heard the same about Eagles fans. <laughs> oh, they're they're horrible. They're horrible. But I didn't say that. <laughs> Don't tell my Mar cousins I said that. I've said it multiple times on this show. I'm just like, man, it's like <laughs> the worst fan base for sports uh, in America. They could win the damn championship and they'd be wanting to run the quarterback out of town and string him up the next day, you know, which they did. You know what I mean? But really? They fired the coach two years after the Super Bowl. They're like, nah, this ain't working out. I'm like, you just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> Give him a chance. Throwing batteries at people. It's like, they're just a terrible fan base, man. You know, <laughs> they're just not very polite to other folks. All right. Well, I'm going to let you have that opinion. And in case any of my cousins <laughs> listen to this, I'm going to keep my mouth shut or I'm not going to be invited on vacation this year. <laughs> right, right. For the record, a uh, huge, huge Eagles fan, Eliza. Is a huge, <laughs> huge. <laughs> so let me, let me ask you about some new projects you got coming up. I'll tell you my top, I'll tell you the, the couple of things that I'm working okay, on. Okay, right great, great. So I was just at a, like a TV festival um, in Minnesota actually, which is, have you, have you spent time in Minnesota? Have you ever been there? <sighs> I'm trying to think if I- You would love it. If, you're like a blue collar guy. So like you would, you would love it. But there was this TV festival up there that um, a pilot that I wrote got into and I, I spent time there and it was, it was so fun. They like literally took over the entire city of Duluth and like the entire downtown area was like the, the TV festival. So every, like every convention center and every, I don't know, every, every theater, every movie theater was like a different part of the festival. So like the entire downtown area was sort of just like taken over for the weekend. And it was just this really awesome experience, but that was for a, a, a pilot that I wrote that actually um, probably similar to you sort of writing about your, your 20 something experience in Detroit. It's sort of like my, my boat sure. to Buffalo. Um, so my goal for this year, as far as production goes, is to, uh, is to make a proof of concept for that pilot. Um, because, you know, as apparently nowadays you need a proof of concept in addition to a full script. And I don't even know what that is. What are you saying? <laughs> well, you know, it's sort of like in the same way that an actor has a real, 
if you write a pilot, it, it's super helpful. If you have a visual proof of concept of what it is, it helps to solidify the tone. If you're a new writer and you don't have anything to show for yourself, it helps to give someone a, a quick pitch of, you know, what you want your project to look like. So some people do like a trailer if they want to okay. do a film. And some people do like the first 10 pages of a script as a proof of concept for, for the show that they want to gotcha. create. So, you know, um, you can get grants for that kind of stuff, or you can crowd fundraise or you can self-fund it but I would like to do that so that I could have something concrete to pitch around because the script got somewhere which tells me that it's not terrible I guess so right. <laughs> um, right. I would like to produce that in the next year and then actually a guy um, my friend Fred who played opposite me in Taking the Reins the Hallmark movie um, he and I are writing a script that we are hoping to pitch as a summer movie either to Hallmark or a similar network so we finished the outline and we got the one pager and we're getting ready to to finish the script so those are the two things i've done on the docket right now well that's great because that's what people don't understand like just to do two things like that is so time consuming people have no concept of what it's like to try and sit down and write a script and then try to shop it let alone crowdfund it film it like it's it it's so much it's so much and once you i think once you realize like have you self-produced anything do you do have you gone that far with a project yet I'm just starting to do one right now. So I'm starting yeah. to find out what that's all about, which like. Yeah. When we're well, pick my brain. Up. Yeah. Pick my brain whenever <laughs> you want, because I, it's the only way to do it is to do it. Like the, it's the only way to learn. And I, I learned that, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to have a, a, a company that I worked for as an, as an actor seek me out as sort of like a writer and producer for viral comedy content for um like in a commercial space so i was given you know budgets from this company to create like comedic content for their products right. um, and so i kind of got a crash course in in producing on an independent level through them um but it takes an exorbitant amount of time and energy and in order to make money doing it you have to wear like 15 different hats and like you'll learn that you have to be the costume designer and the location scout and the producer and you know you're writing the call yeah. sheets doing everything and you know it's it's an extremely rewarding process and there's just nothing cooler than looking at something and realizing that there was where there was nothing there is now something right and it only because you thought of it and you made it like there's nothing that replaces right. that feeling but it's so hard <laughs> no, there's, there's not but it is it's a, it is extremely difficult it's yeah. i mean the only like it's it's so time consuming like i didn't know what was going to be involved with it and i'm just like man this is time consuming you right know? but i do think the nice thing about la is that like people are really good at like scratching your back, like, and, and if you scratch theirs, like people do do favors because everyone wants to make stuff. Everyone wants to be creative. Everyone has a million ideas. And I think we all know at this point that like, um, if we want to get shit made, we have to help each other. We just do. Right. And um, it's really nice to be in a community of creatives that get that. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm always down to help people make their stuff because it required me to ask people to help me in order to make mine. So like, sure, you know, sure. I'm always down to help. So you let me know. I'll help. <laughs> I'll be in touch because I don't know anything about like getting crews together and things like that. that's the kind of stuff I'm gonna have to figure out. No doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to figure that one out. All right. So with playoffs right around the corner, uh, yes. let's talk about the bills. Let's talk about the new bills. What do you think? What do you expect? Well, I expect Josh Allen to be the person that he's been for the last two weeks and not the person that he decided to be a month ago. I, I always like, we always laugh when he gets that look in his eye. Like he looks 
he looks like Bambi. He looks like a very scared little baby deer. And it's the look he had in his eye, like the first season that we had him. And you saw like the potential and you'd be like, just trust yourself. Don't, don't throw it yet. Just hold back, hold back. You know, he's gotten so confident to just wait until he has a path and to hold back and to just make the pass. Like, but he didn't always have that ability and he would just like panic throw and the whole thing would be up in flames. So I'm hoping that he doesn't become Bambi baby dear Josh Allen again. Um, and I don't know, you know, we should beat the jets, but like, I don't say we, I don't even say anything at this point because there have been plenty of times where people who should have beat the bills didn't beat the bills because they assumed they would beat the bills. And so now we can't do that. The jets, right. Yeah, right. Well, you're talking to a Lions fan, so I know all about not winning when you're supposed to and winning when you're not supposed to and all right. of, you know, and like, nothing makes sense and the yeah. world the world is on fire. I mean, that's what we were for so many years. Right. Well, Josh Allen looks great now though, man. The game has slowed down for him. You know, he looks real confident. He looks like he knows what he's doing. I think they're the front runner in the AFC to maybe knock off the Chiefs. I don't know. I don't I don't know um enough about it either. I only know specifically about the Buffalo Bills. Um well, you know who Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are. They go to the Super Bowl. They're looking to try to go to the third one in a row. So, you know, that's Patrick what... Mahomes also is um just very attractive. So I will like give him really that. You don't think so? I well, I don't know. I don't really no, know. No? Well, you know, everyone's a little bit gay is the thing. So like you just have to no, you like either you're like, you know, you're not not maybe like you don't want to endeavor sexually, but like some people can look at a man and be like, Yeah, that's a handsome man. And then and then other men are like it's never occurred to me to even consider whether or not he was handsome or not. So I yeah. always ask, cause maybe you're like, maybe you, maybe I get where you're coming from. I get how like people are like, people think Tom Brady's handsome or like, you know, uh, I hate Tom Brady. <laughs> Who thinks Tom Brady's handsome? A lot of people do. I don't Come know. On. His personality or lack thereof overshadows any, any points he gets sure, in the sure. department. But I hear what you're saying about how like, um, how people are attractive in different ways you know like uh daniel craig and idris album guys like that just have that uh smoldering thing about them that exactly people... like you can't deny that right you see that no, they're definitely patrick mahomes, that's not your speed he's my speed oh god it's knocking over no, like when i see patrick mahomes i think he's probably more attractive to people like on um, that fun personality type of <laughs> you know I mean? like i bet well, he's a lot of fun have it all, Mike. he's a really good football player and <laughs> you know what i mean he, he does like, um, one time my wife said, he sounds like a Muppet when he talks, like his voice. He, well, he is in all those commercials. Who, what, it, he's in a bunch of commercials right now, isn't he? Yeah, or he yeah, was last State year. Farm. Yeah, State Farm ones. They do them with Aaron Rodgers and all of their quarterbacks do them. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to listen now because now that you said he sounds like a Muppet. He kind of has like a, um, he would do, he would be killer in the voiceover world of like animated stuff. He has a very cartoony voice if you close your eyes. <laughs> It's very much like you Patrick Mahomes' agent is listening. <laughs> put him in the next Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, you can put him in. Yeah, he's, he needs to be doing some voiceover for some good cartoons and stuff, you know. And that's not knocking him. I wish I was. Shit, you know what I mean? Uh, no. Are you kidding? That would be the most incredible second career ever. You go from having to play football to having to, like, sit in a room and yeah. be a Muppet. Yeah. Sign me up. I would rather do that than be a commentator, probably. Oh, and, and the commentators. You know what I noticed lately? You probably didn't notice this, but my God, who dresses them? Who dresses these men? They look they look ridiculous. It's like purple, two shades of purple pinstripes and pocket square. Who is in charge? I would like, I'd like to have a conversation. We I, need, yeah. 
I saw Dan Orlovsky is the guy that's always on ESPN, but he he wore a suit on game day one time or the NFL Prime or whatever. He looked like the Joker. I thought he's wearing a Joker suit. It's gotten out of hand. And I just think that someone from the wardrobe department needs to be, I don't know, they someone needs to have I'll a conversation. I'll agree with you. I don't know what some of these guys are wearing sometimes. <laughs> I'm sure that's not what you intended to talk about when we moved on to the sports section of this podcast. But no, but I but I tell, I have no problem talking about it. I'll tell you <laughs> I have no problem with that. I am I am confident and comfortable in my skin. I'll tell you. <laughs> I know a bad tie when I see one, damn it. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know what you like to look at clothes wise. I can tell you if a gentleman is handsome or not without being worried about it. It doesn't matter. We could go anywhere with that conversation. Right. I'm glad we're on the scene. I did see, I did want to ask you, um, you did one of the mom videos at the stadium and then I saw you were like laying on the turf and there was the, the Bills logo and stuff like, did you get access to the stadium to do that? I did not. There's so many people who thought that I got on the field and, you know, if I tried, if I really tried hard enough, I've, I've, you know, I probably could have weaseled my way there somehow because, oh, who shared my video? I'm so bad with names. It was, uh, it'll take me forever to figure it out. But someone from like back in the day, it was Andre Reed. Andre Reed's, oh, Andre Reed's girlfriend shared my video and then Jill, Jill Kelly shared it too. So like, listen, I probably could have like DM some people and like figured out a way to get in there. But anyway, no, I wasn't on the field. They actually did that in the front, like on the outside of the stadium, there's like a little turf area and they put that helmet on the front. So it's like on the exterior of the stadium. Okay. Okay. No, I just, I was like, man, that's pretty damn cool. Your shit blew up quick. Did let you get in the stadium. I am not that cool, but I, I think I, I would say it's safe to say that Andre Reed and Jim Kelly saw my nineties on bills video, which I, to me is a, is a huge success. That's a huge success. Huge that's success. awesome. That's you. awesome. You. If you do happen to be able to meet those guys, when they show you into the stadium for the next yeah. video or whatever, mm-hmm. I, I would love to have them on the shelf. We could just drop, throw them a bone. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. I know a guy, I know a guy he's in LA. We're going to make you famous. I've all of a sudden turned into their Jewish agent for some reason. I have no idea what happened there, but. Oh, that's hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> um, I did want to ask you one more thing. I wanted to circle back on the musical theater stuff because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to ask you, obviously you grew up with it and stuff. So you're very familiar with a lot of it. Like what's your favorite uh, Broadway production? Like which one do you like the best or which one that you saw live was your favorite? The first Broadway show that I ever saw was called Company. Um, it's a Stephen Sondheim musical who, who recently passed away, but he has created some of the most, you know, incredible musicals that we have seen and probably will ever see in our lifetime. Um, So Company was definitely a a huge, a huge favorite to see. It's a smaller show. It's a smaller cast, but it's, it doesn't have like, you know, big dancing numbers and it's not a big spectacle. It's really about like human beings. It's a very, it's a very human show. Like a, I don't know, sometimes you describe a book as like looking like a window, looking into someone's life, like nothing much happens, but it's just about the human experience. That's what, that's what that show is to me. So I love that show for that reason. But another one of my favorites is Oklahoma, which Everyone always laughs at, but the reason I love Oklahoma is because it actually represents a super important um, turning point in musical theater history. So like up until a certain point, really up until Oklahoma came out on Broadway, theater, musical theater, you know, it was 
it was all about the spectacle, the line of showgirls. Every every show opened up with like the big curtain and the the line of showgirls and the the high kicks and the you know the rain curtain in the back, and that's what it was. And Oklahoma opens on Aunt Eller was the character in the show. Aunt Eller churning butter in complete silence on on a stage, and it's just her there churning butter, and it represents such a big shift because it sort of was the first show that didn't that that opened into human existence instead of like flash, bam, wham, here right. we are. Um, okay. Yeah. So I love that show because it's important and because it changed musical theater and it, and it paved the way for, you know, shows like next to normal and all these, all these, you know, sort of like pop rock musicals that wouldn't have existed were it not for, for Oklahoma, in my humble opinion. Now, let me, let me tell you, I'm, I might blow your mind because I'm just a, a, you know, you would think I wouldn't know a lot about that kind of thing, but uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I do know a bit. Um, I would be correct in saying that Oklahoma is credited as the first musical where the songs actually furthered the dialogue. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that that's a safe, that's a safe bet. And I think what you're probably talking about, there is the difference between trunk songs and, and songs that sort of live within the, the story of a musical. So like, like a trunk song, like, yeah, like Lerner Lowe and, and um, a lot of the older composers, you know, they, there were two guys and they would make a bunch of songs and then there'd be like a show and the songs didn't really, you know, didn't really mean anything. They just were ways for you know, really great singers and actors to park and bark, as you say, they stand there and sing a song and then you move on and some girls dance and whatever. So yeah, in Oklahoma, it's like these, these songs move you through a story rather than being points where the story stops someone sing and then you move on. I guess it was a better way to say it. They, they further plot instead of singing about the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah. for sure. For sure. See, I knew something. I was trying to impress you. You had that that one musical theater fact and you were like, today's the day I've held out of this for 20 years. <laughs> I don't remember where I picked that up from, but I was watching something one time and I it thought- It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's know? how doing a crossword puzzle is. Every every time I do a crossword puzzle, I am constantly going, how did I know that? And I'll never know why, but it was of use one time on a Saturday afternoon. So yeah. now, did you get had to actually go down and catch a lot of shows growing up, Broadway shows live on Broadway? No. I did. I mean, I saw my first show. I was, I was a teenager. I think I was like 18 when we finally got to New York city. I mean, it's kind of a tough place to visit like with, with kids, or at least it was at the time that I was a kid, like times square didn't really get cleaned up. I don't remember the year that it was. Do you remember the year who, who cleaned up times square? Who was the mayor? Oh, I, I don't know. If I had to throw a dart, I would say like Giuliani. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it was. Oh, I'm going to sound like an idiot. Maybe edit this part out. But anyway, Times Square got cleaned up at a certain point and then it was like, okay to visit. But like when my mom was there, like you didn't go anywhere near Times Square. That was, that was not, that was not a thing. Um, But yeah, no, I didn't get there until I was, you know, like 18. And I, of course, fell madly in love with it. And, and I had to move there and it's built for people who have stars in their eyes and tons of energy and don't understand the concept of money, which is people in their (laughs) twenties. It is. It is. What did you think of that Cats movie? I did not watch that Cats movie. You didn't see it? With no, all the- I do not like movie musicals. No, nah, it's not fair to even judge them. It really isn't. But um, I didn't man. like them. Did you watch the one with buttholes or without buttholes? Oh, I don't even know that there was a difference. I mean, I okay. just... There was a version of that movie where the cats had buttholes because they thought, or someone thought, we have they have to have buttholes because they're human faces. Like, we have to give them buttholes. And so there's an entire edit with 
buttholes. <laughs> and That's then the one that got released to the public without buttholes. Sorry, and then they went back and scrubbed them out. What was and the then they were like, That's weird. Is that weird? I feel like that's weird. And everyone looked at each other and they were like, it's really weird. Delete the buttholes. I mean, wouldn't it only taken like one day of dailies to notice that early on and go, guys, we got to lose the asses. You know what I, I, mean? I don't know. You know, you're right. Maybe it's not a full version. That would be a lot of money. But like, I mean, we've spent much more money on much dumber things. So I would not be surprised if it got all the way to the final thing. And they, someone right. finally said, are the buttholes weird? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll probably make you throw up in your mouth a little bit as a, as a, uh, someone who lived in this world and, and adores this world by telling you which ones that I kind of liked, but I haven't seen a lot of them to be fair. What the movie um, musicals? Like, uh, no, the ones like I've seen live. Um, Oh, Oh, well, yes. Tell me your favorite. Yeah, like, well, Newsies. I love Newsies. <gasps> Newsies is great. Because the movie was out when I was a kid and I loved it. You know what I mean? So like, right. Newsies is fantastic. The dancing is effing incredible. The songs are so exciting. It makes yeah. you want to go on strike, even if you have nothing to strike about. Yeah, Newsies is great. And then obviously Hamilton. Um, that's probably the greatest one that I've ever seen. But there was wheelhouse for me, not just because it was popular, because I'm a huge hip hop guy growing mm -hmm. up, big time hip hop, big time into it. And one of my favorite things in history is the Revolutionary War. So like that whole thing was just like right in my wheelhouse. I loved it. You know That's what I mean? Made for you. Oh, I know. I Did know. you watch the one that was on, um, was it HBO? Who who played it? Disney. Disney Plus. Yeah. Did you watch did, that one? I did watch that one. And then my wife and I went and saw, before the pandemic, we went and saw the, um, when it was here in LA at the Pantages with, it had everybody except Lin-Manuel Miranda I think the original cast minus him and minus whoever played George Washington those were the only two stand-ins everybody else was the people from Broadway and it was fantastic did you like um did you think that the one on Disney plus compared or was it like you couldn't even compare the two like the in-person experience was just so much better no you couldn't even compare the two it was great to watch it's great for me to watch it on the Disney after having seen the live, I could appreciate it, but it's much like live comedy. Like you can't watch a live comedy. Like you can't watch an improv set, have it recorded and then go back and watch it. It's the same thing with, with musicals. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't transcend, you know, it's that live yeah. experience that you gotta have. I will say that like people ask me if I miss doing musical theater and like, I don't miss auditioning for it. I don't miss um, really even doing the full run of a show. I do miss the exchange of energy because there's just, there's nothing, there's nothing that replaces it. The, yeah. the moment the curtain, you know, goes up and knowing that like, there's no getting off this ride until it's done. Like there's, there's something really cool and unique about that experience. Um, so I agree. You have to see it in person. For sure. Yeah. Live shows are the best. I mean, yeah. ever are you doing live comedy right now again at all? Are you improving? Uh, I'm just starting to try to get back into some spots because yeah. it's just not opening up. But now with this Omicron and everything, everything's shutting back down. And it's like, I did, it's tough. It's tough. You can't even get out and perform anywhere right now. And a lot of places went belly up. A lot of the places I used to do stuff at went belly up during this. So it's tough. Looks like you got to start a TikTok, Mike. Yeah, I probably should do that, huh? Just get a TikTok. Just get a little TikTok. A little TikTok here and there. If I do, if I do one, I, the one I'm thinking about doing will not be my face, which will be the biggest mistake to do because you have to have your face on TikTok. But I would rather just use like little action figures and stuff and do the voiceovers to them and do bits like that. But no, yeah. do whatever you want. Do you know how many different things people do on TikTok? You would be. I mean, the pop the the possibilities are endless. It's just like 
do whatever brings you joy because someone else is going to be like, I've been waiting for somebody to make mini action movies and do voiceovers for 30 seconds at a time on TikTok. I'm so glad Mike Wilson's doing it. <laughs> That's true. I should probably try to do it. I had some good ideas for it, but then, you know, you get to him and it hawing on it and I'm like, no, nah, I got to make something bigger and better and just do it. I know. I just need to do I'm it. telling you the one, the one video that you liked that I did in the car, I was having lunch with a friend and I was talking about like girls who the guys girls that thing I literally did it in like 15 seconds in my car and and it's it's not my favorite I don't think it's I think it's okay but like you like all I'm saying is that like whatever you think needs to happen to make it a good video you're wrong because the one that you spent zero time on that'll be the one that everyone thinks is fucking hilarious like things that go viral are not always earth shattering sometimes they're just true true you know don't overthink it Excuse and me. my wife is always telling me I got to do it. You, I know you don't want to do it because you think you want to go a different route and you don't want to do that, but you need to do it. She's always telling me and she's 100% right. I don't know why I don't probably just typical uh, creative laziness, you know, it's the same reason that all of us don't. It's because we've, we have this idea that like if it's not fully realized and if it's not perfect, then it's not worth doing. But like the repetition is the thing. And like, it's a really great creative habit to get into. At least it was for me. And it, it's the same thing as your podcast, but like way lower stakes because it, you don't have to present anything to anyone. And like, maybe people will see it and maybe people won't, but like literally who cares? No, you're hundred percent right. I've been stupid about it. Listen to your wife. I know, right? If I listen to her on more things, I would be so far ahead in life right now. Okay. Well, there's no day, no day like today. All right. I'm going <laughs> to putting some out next week you heard it here everybody that's listening you heard it i'm gonna do it yes you talked me into it um, good I'm holding you to it <laughs> i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it well listen um everything's been going really great for you i'm i'm excited for you uh when i saw that thing blowing up i was like man this is great you know you were always one of my favorite people to work with just because similar personalities and just like let's just have a good day and let's have fun and and you know what i mean and joke around and stuff so it was always fun working with you and i, I always felt like right away like that we kind of clicked as far as like, you know, let's just do what we're supposed to do today and have a good time. And I always appreciated that about you. And a lot of people on that, that job, a lot of good people on that job, you know what I mean? That we should try to get together with some of them if they're in LA. They are. There's a bunch of people there. I just, you know, we were, I think everyone is collectively bad at pulling the trigger on actually making plans in LA. It's just like something that happens when you get here it's really, it's like, it's bad. Everyone's like, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. Let's grab a yeah. coffee. Let's grab a drink. It yeah. never happens. But yeah, now that we know that the world can end at any moment, we really should stop having it hawing over probably it. Probably happen soon. But I'm so glad. Thank you for, for having me. Cause it was, it was really, um, it was really fun. And I've never done a, I've never done a podcast before. So this no? is my first one. No. I'm glad, I'm glad you could do it, man. I wanted to thank yeah. you for coming on. And, you know, if you get some stuff going, um, you know, with your film, when you get it together, what do you call it? The thing I, I'm missing, I'm missing it up again. It's not a trailer. It's a, Oh, a proof of concept. I want to see this proof of concept. Okay. You I'll hold you to TikTok, and you hold me to my proof of concept and we will. All we'll right. Check. All right. We'll do well. Liza, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Thanks Mike. You got it.